It could not last. And two, the float failed utterly, those boys having no more real knowledge of construction than I did, living as boys often do on brawn and sudden inspirations. As it evolved, the elegant pilot house supporting the mast became a kind of squat box covered with cardboard from toilet paper cases. Where did that come from? The Charmin toilet paper baby glowed through the thin white paint because we didn't have enough primer to cover the cherub face, nor had we enough tissues from the 50-plus boxes to cover all parts of the bow. The mast, which was supposed to be poised gallantly upright, leaned backward at a precarious 45-degree angle. We had forgotten the height restriction due to the power lines at the edge of the football field until some gentle father, realizing our ambitions and seeing the discrepancies between what we dreamed and what we were building, decided not to let us electrocute ourselves. When homecoming night arrived, wrapped in mysterious wind, mist, and fog, we took it as a sign of atmospheric cooperation. When the wagon paraded slowly onto that field, we were filled with all-out, unprecedented hope but the white and red-tissued sides of the ship, seen from a distance, looked like bubbling froth or, as my mother would later announce, a pirate birthday cake. The pirate's sail, a king-size sheet, had been punctured with tiny cuts so the wind would pass through without tearing it away from the flimsy mast. But instead of the grand spinnaker we had envisioned, the sail snapped violently in the growing bluster of that night. The small cuts did not hold but tore open, then ripped full out. The entire lower half of the sheet, on which were a cleverly drawn pirate mouth and jaw, sheared off in the wind. The pirate's face, the twisted arg of a mouth flapping wildly, mouthed windy inanities. The eyes looked oddly surprised at the absence of the rest of its visage. About the cannons, the coup de grace that would nail us the class prize, we were felled by the nature of confetti and drizzle. Our plan had been clear. Before the game, and after many tests, generous handfuls of bright confetti had been stuffed into each cannon tube so that when they were fired, they would explode with a flurry of firework-like mystical fluttering. But because the tubes were tipped upward, the atmospheric spit betrayed us just before halftime, sluicing down the up-tipped cannons and into the cannon bases. The confetti absorbed the rain as only snippets of cheap Christmas paper and torn-up tissue can. When the pirates on board, shouting as triumphantly as ten-year-olds, shoved those carefully selected bathroom plungers through the cardboard cannon tubes to create the much-anticipated explosion from the cannons, instilling awe and evoking applause, the cannons looked as though they were dropping raw sewage onto the field. Imagine the plunging apparatus becoming stuck inside the now-swollen cardboard tube of the cannon, and the entire cannon, complete with plunger, coming unhinged from its stapled and duct-taped moorings, and plunger, tube, and sodden confetti dropping unceremoniously onto the field, trailing behind the cumbersome cake of a ship, whereupon a coach, who just wanted to play the goddamn game, described the situation in phrases to be repeated with relish for years. I imagine it was he who finally sent some second-string players out to pick up the messy stuff before the refs began the second half. Stuck in the end zone, we, the committee, waited for our sinking ship to come in. We pushed back our moppy hair and watched with awe and despair, as, for a finale, the flailing eyes of the sail tore free of the mast and flew, an object of mockery. 
we descended into a state of chaos and accusations. Who ever thought that would work? We came in fourth, behind even the freshmen.